The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that wants to prove it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Vodafone Zone. Please welcome your host, Simon Pound. One of the themes of this podcast has been how can we actually make space in business and leadership to change the absolutely banana statistics? Only one of our top-listed NZX50 companies is led by a woman, a gender pay gap at about 10%, and that dearth of non-male directors. One of the factors that's often raised and why this may be is the traditional role of woman as primary caregiver to children and the one that might step out of the workforce for parental leave. And so it was great news to see a woman with a big job announce the other week that she was going to have a kid and that her partner was going to be the primary caregiver and stay-at-home parent. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and partner Clark Gayford have elevated a conversation and the pressures that face so many women with fast-moving careers and ambitions to contribute and work in public life. In response to the news, one woman with experience of multitasking a career, public expectations and being a parent penned a great column you can find on noted.co.nz. Genevieve O'Halloran, a lawyer who's worked with companies like Vodafone, Bauer Media and now Lion across all elements of law, privacy, public interest, commercial acquisitions and media, and she's excelled and raced up some of our biggest corporate letters. In this column, she laid out some of the difficulties and practical ways that room can be made for women to continue to contribute in an age where even if it shouldn't be expected that females will be primary caregivers, it so often is. Genevieve is External Relations Manager for Lion NZ, a company that's further along than most on the journey. Last year, they were champion winner of the YWCA Equal Pay Awards and of the Diversity Works Work-Life Balance Award. To chat that column, her career, and how you can have it all, so long as that all includes flexible work and some effort to address deep paternalistic bias, Genevieve joins us now. G'day. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. First, let's have a look at your career and what first got you interested um, in law, where you've had this fascinating career where you've been part of kind of the corporate decision making rather than a professional services hired gun. Yeah, well, I don't think I had a plan at the outset. Um, I wasn't a star law student. I wasn't, you know, being tapped by every big law firm in town. Um, but what I what I did have was a real interest in media, and I, I kind of followed my nose in that sense. Uh, my first job in media was I was the reception at a 
a long gone, sadly, now a little independent newspaper called the Independent Business Weekly down on Fort Street when Fort Street was much less trendy than it is now. Yep. Um, and I worked with some amazing journalists there. It was run by a guy called Warren Berryman, um, who was a bit of a giant, uh, literally and metaphorically, of journalism. Um, and uh, Jenny McManus, another uh, business journalist, um, John Stevenson. So, yeah, it was. I was the receptionist in general dog's body, but it gave me an insight into media, and I kind of always thought I'd love to combine my law studies with that. And from that point, I just kind of followed my nose. <laughs> and, and where did that take you? So you worked for um, Vodafone and, and worked there for a few years and then yeah. ACP that became Bauer, is that right? T- tell us about a telco. Yeah, that's right. I um, Out of uni I went and worked at the Broadcasting Standards Authority where I was a legal advisor and I was doing compliance there and then I headed over to London which is where I got my first kind of break in media working for publishing companies and television companies and I came back uh, to work for Vodafone. Um, yeah, Vodafone was more in the marketing compliance side of things. Obviously, they, you know, their telcos are heavily regulated. It was less media. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting. It was my first um, experience working in a big corporate like that. And from there, I went to ACP Media, which became Bauer, and back to journalism, which I think was probably my natural home. And having gone from the Broadcasting Standards Authority, you kind of turned, uh, what, gatekeeper to poacher? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I think that was, that was where I realised that compliance, um, in terms of enforcing compliance, was perhaps not for me. Um, so I, I was more comfortable testing the boundaries about what could be published as opposed to maybe being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff and telling the journalists off. That mm. never quite sat right with me. And so what did that involve? That must have been a fascinating role, being at that kind of juncture of... Uh, the law, public interest, and yep. also commercial, because once a once an organisation has spent three months on a story, they don't want it to, to go away. Yeah, it is, um, and I, you have to wear a legal hat and a journalist hat as well. I think um, it helps if you're. It's difficult because, particularly in this day and age, current affairs is fraught with danger. I mean, you can legal a story to the nth degree, and you can be absolutely confident, but it doesn't mean that you won't get a defamation suit however perhaps vexatious or ill-founded, they still cost a lot to defend. Um, but I guess you, yeah, you have to wear both hats. Uh, you have to um, think round corners, I think. One, one journalist put it to me. You have to kind of be sometimes the Cassandra saying, no, that doesn't work, no, that's not fair, why have we drawn this conclusion? Ultimately, I think you have to try and stitch it all together and you have to believe that what you're doing is important, mm-hmm. I think, um, because if you're just looking at it like any other sort of content product, journalism, um, often it won't stack up, mm-hmm. you know, but it's of itself it's got an important role to play. And the publications that you were doing that for, you know, these were big stories for publications with a history of breaking, you know, some of the most important stories in the country, outfits yeah. like Metro and North and South. Yeah. But also if, if something's wrong, it's wrong for 30 days on the newsstand as well. So a That's huge right. responsibility. Yeah. So it's not like digital where you can take it down straight away if you get a threat or you can amend it or tinker with it. And that's quite a nervous place to be when it's out there. Uh, in, in a way, I guess for print, the audience is maybe smaller, but... As you say, it's permanent, and if you screw something up, not just defamation, um, suppression orders, uh, court rules, that sort of thing, um, you're going to wear the consequences. 
what does a good day look like in a in a role like that? And what, what does a difficult day look like? <laughs> well, uh, when you're an in-house uh, media lawyer like I was for Metro North and South, a good day is a story that you've played a part in coming to fruition, um, leading the news agenda, being picked up by other media. A good example of that is probably, I think it was 2011 or 2012, uh, John Stevenson published for Metro Eyes Wide Shut, which was about... Um, uh, what we've been, what some of our troops have been up to in Afghanistan, um, and it was an uncomfortable story. It was an uncomfortable story to review, and it was an uncomfortable story, perhaps to publish. It involved, you know, the government, the defence force, all sorts of things. Um, but it, it led the news agenda. Um, people were. It was a classic example of the fourth estate holding uh, the government of the day to account, and we were really proud of that story. Um, and for you know, Metro was is an influential magazine but it's still a small publication um when you think of the huge audiences that say new zealand herald online has so to be able to have that kind of effect was it was a, it was a proud day for the team it was a proud day for me to play my very small <laughs> part in yeah but as as we've seen um the defense force uh they they love a, they love to um yeah yeah, yeah like uh, you use all avenues available to keep these stories down so a big, big risk as a lawyer to be running a story like that. Yeah, um, and that can be quite nerve-wracking. <laughs> what, what does a difficult day look like? Uh, a difficult day is may not necessarily getting a legal threat or a letter or something because you expect those. Sometimes it might be reading something that's gone to print that you've checked and thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think I got, I, didn't, I missed that. You know, that, that makes me, and knowing that that's out there for however long, forever really in this day and age, um, that's not a good day. I didn't sleep well sometimes. Not often, not often, <laughs> just occasionally. And, and so, you know, a, a very exciting um, job across, you, you know, high pace, the adrenaline of the news cycle, uh, things happening all the time, um, built up the, the, the corporate ladder, loving, loving the job? Yeah, yeah, absolutely loved it, yeah. And then the decision comes in, and just, just to, you know, really clarify here, the only reason we're talking about your decision to have kids is because yeah. of this great column yeah. um, you've put together and the, the news value. What, 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 led, what kind of uh, pressures and um, considerations did you then have to have when you decided, I want to have a family? And maintain uh, a job like this where I'm involved and active in, in things? Yeah, well, I always assumed that I would continue working after I had children. That was always a given for me. Um, I don't think I at all anticipated how difficult it might be to balance the two. And I only have one child, so <laughs> speaking from a, a position of relative privilege here in terms of women who have more children than I do, um, but... I always thought I'd have kids at some point as well, but I knew that I wasn't necessarily the kind of person to stay at home with them 20, you know, 24-7. Um, so I just had to play it by ear, really. Um, I didn't, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't realise how hard it would be um, and how much you do need flexibility to continue to have a career that's, you know, at all sort of challenging or... Fulfilling for me, I mean, I'm not judging other people's choices. Yeah. And so, you actually did try to change up your working environment to take a part time role because you thought that would make it easier, but that wasn't the experience. No, it wasn't. And the company I then joined was a, a great company, great people. I've got you know, no complaint about the organization, it just wasn't the right role for me. Um, 
so yeah, it was a 24 hour a week job. They were very flexible as well, but I, I did feel that um, the subject matter and the experience level was a bit of a step back and I had known that going in, but I realised about six months in that it wasn't for me and what I needed was a more challenging job, but I also needed it to be flexible, not necessarily part time, and somehow I had to stitch all that together and find the perfect role. What does, let, let's, let's look at that flexible, what does a flexible workplace actually look like? Because it's one of those terms that's kind of bandied around and sometimes it means we have a coffee machine and a ping pong table, yeah. uh, but what does it mean when it's actually working? Well, one thing I've realised in this day and age is that every workplace is flexible or expects flexibility, but it often only cuts both ways, as in the employer expects you to be picking up calls whenever um, when you're on leave, answering emails on the weekend. That's kind of a given when you've got an iPhone that's surgically attached to your hand, as mine is. However, it doesn't often cut the other way, or it doesn't as often as it should cut the other way in terms of the employer allowing the employee to do just do the work, be based on outcomes, and it doesn't necessarily matter if you're in the office, when you're in the office, how you structure that. So the company I work for, Lion, um, officially introduced its flexibility policy shortly after I started in early 2016. And it tried to address this through a number of different things. And it was a, the key tenet, I think, is the phrase start with yes, uh, which is that flexibility can always be accommodated and you figure it out with your, with your manager from there, as opposed to this is how we work, 8.30 till 5.30, and ask for flexibility, but not sure we can do it. So sort of flipping that on its head suddenly made it A, a lot easier to ask, and B, a lot harder, I think, perhaps for managers who weren't in that headspace to say no, because the expectation from the top of the tree was we can make flexibility work. How do they do that in practice? Like, um, start with yes is definitely a flip from the... Start with no. But yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, just the expectation, like, um, that you call out in the column as being presenteeism which yeah. I think is a really good way of looking at it because we've always got this I think we're conditioned from kindergarten and through primary school that if you're not somewhere between nine and five you're a bad person absolutely and it's still hard for me sometimes to flip that out and said sometimes I'm just I know that I could be perhaps more productive at home if I need a quiet space or whatever but I feel like oh I haven't I've been in and out of meetings or I've been down in Wellington for a couple of days I better just show my face in reality, no one's checking to see if my face is there or not. Mm. But it is hard to break out of that mindset. What I always think, though, is that you can you can work well at home or at a cafe or in your office or wherever, but equally you can slack off just as much mm. in the workplace. You know, I could be wasting three hours reading the Daily Mail online just as easily from my desk at work as at home. <laughs> <laughs> not saying I do that. No, no. <laughs> and, and so what about the being available? Because I guess um, in some roles it's very important to be available. Are things like um, Slack or Google Hangouts or the ever-present iPhone, do, do they stand in for that physical availability? Yeah, well, I'm probably a bit of a Luddite in this respect because I sometimes feel um, communication overload. Um, people can call me, email me, text me. Then we've got... A link, which is probably your equivalent of Slack. Uh, there are so many opportunities to contact. People walk up to my desk all the time, and I welcome that 
I kind of think how many more apps do we need flashing up for people to get beyond what we already have available? And I don't think that that's necessarily a more productive way of working, particularly when you need to sit down and nut through a task. But yeah, there is that expectation of constant availability, and I get that, and it works both ways, because it means that I can, for example, like I did yesterday, work at home because my childcare fell through, um, but still be cracking on with what I need to do and still be contactable. But... Sometimes I do get communication overload, communication fatigue, whatever you want to call it, and I don't think it's necessarily uh, a silver bullet for flexibility because you've just got people coming at you at every point and you can never say no. So I think yeah. you also need to be quite firm about setting your boundaries. Yeah. In, in terms of, in the um, column you write about uh, having experienced the kind of benevolent paternalism <laughs> uh, of, of uh, male uh, senior leadership who meant well, but yeah. kind of didn't really have the strongest handle on the best way to make space and be a good uh, employer and create that environment. What kind of things can, and we're talking to the you know, the, the, 50, the 49 of the top 50 CEOs here, what kind of things can they set from the top to actually be uh, a useful ally? Well, there are lots of things. Um, being open to flexibility is one. Not equating flexible work with being part-time, which is something I encountered when I asked for flexibility. It was, uh, oh, no, this job can't be done part-time, which is actually a completely different question to flexibility. The, how you bond with your workmates. So um, in workplaces I've had, the, the key thing was to get together for Friday night drinks, which was great. When I was in my 20s, I was all over it. You know, I was there every Friday. But when you've got a child to rush to pick up from for a crash, that actually that's that doesn't work, and it means that you as a as a parent, but more often than not, it's the woman uh, missing out on key catch-ups and key info with your with your workmates because you've got to have one or rush off or you can't. Um, you, you're working to a really tight schedule, so just thinking outside the norm, that maybe thinking about how would I be working, say for example, if you're your 50-year-old um, male leader. How would I manage work if I didn't have a spouse at home or a spouse whose career was secondary to mine? Because I think for people my age, I'm 36, a lot of us, um, we don't have stay-at-home spouses. Um, our partners have equally important careers and it can be really difficult to manage. And I suspect for a generation above us, that was maybe not always the case. Um, and this is what prompted me to write the article about Jacinda, and I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to see that she's decided to BPM and also have a baby that's awesome but what makes it doable I think is having that backup at home mm. which and, and that's why I just I kind of think it's an it's a non-event for everyone not that everyone is weeping and gnashing their teeth but the, you can't have it all you can't be a mum and be a PM but of course you can be a mum and be a PM if you've got someone keeping the home fires burning and doing all their admin but most of us don't so how do you manage it um, how do workplaces manage it? And I think, I mean, I keep coming back to flexibility, but I think I genuinely think that's the answer. You mentioned a thing uh, called the mummy track, which, um, yeah, I I explain that to us, that idea of um, if you have a, 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 a child, you then get put into some kind of a less ambitious or less advancing basket. Yeah, well, do you get put into it or do you put yourself into it? I think that's probably a mixture. Um Yeah, I mean, I certainly did that for myself. I've read a bit around this, and from what I can tell, there isn't um, an ambition gap for women in organisations who feel that 
there is a pathway for them to continue to succeed or continue to progress in the company if they feel that they're being supported um, in all aspects of their lives, they are just as ambitious um, at the junior or middle management levels as their male counterparts. However, where they don't think that's possible, they do have a, there is an ambition gap and they do take the mummy track. Understandably, because I mean, we're, there are only 24 hours in a day. You can't do everything, so something's got to give. Right? And, and it's if, usually the woman's career. Yeah, and if the only roles that are made available are part-time things that are discrete projects maybe and not things that are open-ended, which, yeah. you know, it's the open-ended ones where advancement yeah. happens. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly, exactly. Or more administrative or support roles rather than lead roles. Yeah, and that's great, I guess, to, I mean, the, not everyone wants to be CEO or Prime Minister, you know, and I'm not... Um, casting aspersions on other people's career choices but there are women out there who do want to and I suspect there are more that do want to but feel they can't than do want to and feel they can so it's about probably addressing that pool of women. Along those lines there was a fantastic line in there that um, I loved Uh, as women of childbearing age we're damned either way we might be determined to remain child free forever or plan to have nine children it doesn't matter the mere potential of our wombs looms darkly over our careers like a bad fairy at a christening. I love that because <laughs> that, that, that really seems to, uh, a thing about the talk about um, the Prime Minister yeah. uh, is that the same kind of people who used to um, use not having children as uh, something to hold over Helen Clark were using wanting to have a child or having a child um, as a stick to beat the Prime Minister yeah. with. Yeah, um, and interestingly, that's the line that's resonated um, for people who have talked to me about the article. Um, women my age or maybe a few years older who haven't had children but who've always felt that it was a, a lurking issue, like they were kind of a, a time bomb um, for employers, whether that's true or not, but that was the pers- uh, perspective they had. A younger woman who I work with who are in their mid-twenties, you know, a couple of years into the workforce, uh, who kids, uh, it's not something they're having anytime soon, but they know it's an issue that they'll have to overcome. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not just having the children. It's the, the years before, the years during, the years afterwards. I mean, I remember when I was 28, I got married, going um, to a job interview, and I had no plans to have children. In fact, I didn't for about five or six years afterwards. But I took off my wedding rings because I knew that 28-year-old woman with a wedding ring on I couldn't, who knows, they might not have noticed it or they might have, but I just didn't want to take that risk. And I think it's probably a common experience. Wow, that, that, that kind of experience of having to hide part of your person <laughs> in a job interview. It's probably me being paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that also, I, I think that comes into that, you know, you, you can't be it if you don't see it. And so if you having the Prime Minister, having um, this role, and having people like Dame Jenny Shipley come out so in support has been yeah. a really heartening thing. Yeah, I, I found it really heartening as well that this wasn't um, an, an issue along ideological, really, or right or left-wing lines. It was quite a bipartisan support of the Prime Minister and her choice to have children, and a recognition from most people, I think, that of course she can do it. So, yeah, I found that really encouraging as well. There's uh, another line in the piece about your not having noticed, so having gone through the experience of um, 
you, you mentioned being part of a big commercial acquisition uh, and having to fly to Wellington <laughs> and had a difficult night the night before yeah. uh, w- w- with your child and just getting through and just doing it because yeah. that's what has to be done. Yeah. And after that, realising, looking around at all the other working mothers yeah. and going, they've been hiding this and doing this and I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, were they hiding it or was I just not noticing? Um, because, of course, I knew that I knew that women had children um, or that people have children. I had no idea of how tiring it was. And I kind of realised going in there that, oh, OK, this is a thing that people do. And it also made me realise that how oblivious I was and made me feel quite ashamed of myself because I would have been moaning about to those same people about I've had such a tiring weekend. I, yeah. I wish I had time just to chill out and catch up on sleep, you know, because mm. I would have been out in town till two in the morning. Mm. And they were also polite enough to never tell me, mm. you don't know what you're talking about. But, but also people keeping, people not sharing their experiences in case... Um, I don't know, it's some form of um, break on them because they are someone who has those extra commitments or extra difficulties to deal with. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, you don't want to look like you're not up to the job, do you? So I th- it almost, in a way, I suppose it becomes a bit of a secret society. And I know it's not just women as well. I work with a lot of guys who have young children and their experiences are the same, but I just never had those conversations prior to being a parent. And what has, you know, by leading some of this conversation, by penning that column, what have the conversations been like that have come back to you? Um, Generally a really positive response, um, particularly from people in the same boat as me who have just said, yeah, 100%, that's that's what I I deal with every day. Um, And like I said, from younger women who don't have kids as well. A few people saying, oh, you know, what 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 are the solutions... Um, I don't just want problems, I want solutions as well, which I think is fair enough. Um, yeah, generally really positive. I, I don't. It's an ongoing conversation though, isn't it? Because there's no silver bullet for solving female participation in the workforce. Mm. But yeah, over the next um, couple of years, it's going to be, it's yeah. going to be right there in in, in in the national conversation, which yeah. is just just so cool. And 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 to kind of um, finish up, a couple of questions that we ask everyone. Um, what, what, what are some words you live by when, uh, when things get tough? Or do you have uh, mottos you come back to or, or things you kind of check in on? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a big cricket fan. Um, so for me, one, when, when things were tough, I remember um, a commentator once saying, you can't get runs in the dressing room. And for me, that I took that to mean for my career, it was about always staying at the table um, trying to always be part of the conversation as a lawyer, particularly making sure that you're approachable and that people would come to you because it's you know you can't give advice if you don't know what's happening. So that was one. And a, a friend of mine um, ran into an Australian Chief Justice. He's Australian and who was a big um, hero of his when he was at law school. Um, I think it was Justice Kirby, and he asked for his autograph. This is years ago, um, and the message he wrote was remain optimistic and idealistic and it's easy not to do but I think if you can sort of retain that a bit that'll serve you quite well. What do you have um, bits of advice that you give to people who are looking to make a career in in kind of law and business or or in the corporate environment like that? Um, I think probably just staying open to opportunities. Uh, I never had a career plan. Like I said, I was never the stellar A-plus law student. I was I was good and I was interested in things, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ever going to win 
a scholarship to Harvard. Um, so I've always remained open to opportunities. I've always kind of looked around me to see what was out there and what I'd be good at. I've always tried to um, to remain, to keep relationships with people outside the law as well, because I, I think particularly in media, that's where interesting conversations are had. Um, I'd also, <laughs> advice I guess would be not to overthink things. I um, I kind of thought having a, I, I over-dramatised having a child, for example. I thought, oh, I've got to do this at this time and then that will be the end of my life for five years and I'll never be able to travel again or do anything interesting and I'll, I'll take a part-time job and I will be a mother and that's what I will be. And it wasn't like that at all. You know, it's just it's another part of your life and, yes, it's very, very, very tiring, but it's also very enriching and it opens you up, as, as you know, to all sorts of other experiences. So probably... Don't set five-year plans in stone. Don't overthink things. Just get on with it. Just, <laughs> my, my just, 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 just get on with it. Well, you're just, <laughs> just the, the only advice I ever give, if well, when people are silly enough to ask for any about, about having kids, I'm like, just roll with it. Don't have too strong <laughs> yeah. a plan. Well, because you can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And is there anything you wish that you'd you'd landed on sooner? You wish you'd known sooner? Um, well, all sorts of things, probably. Nothing really that springs to mind I well the older I get I guess the the more sanguine I am about things and I wish I'd told my younger self to chill out about a bit more but that's probably common to everyone isn't it <laughs> that's great thank, thank you so much uh, for joining us today uh, to chat Genevieve O'Halloran the external relations manager for Lion NZ and if you would like to uh, check out her column it is on uh, noted.co.nz and we'll have a link to it uh, from the page on the spin-off Thank you so much, Alice, for recording, and thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. All this was brought to your ears by the spin off and Vodafone Zone. From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.